I was a, an individual who was diagnosed late in life with uh, ADHD, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, dyslexia, dyscalculia, uh, what else have I got? Uh, executive function disorder, a processing disorder, and uh, sleep disorder. So I miss, mix, uh, basically fall into the very much neurodivergent category. I was diagnosed late, got a bunch of therapy, came to a point where therapy didn't really do much for me anymore and uh, ended up going, uh, finding out about coaching, started my own coaching business. So my coaching business is called Advocacy. And what we do is we coach neurodivergent youth and adults who live with ADHD, learning disabilities, um, autism, anxiety, and any kind of core occurring mental health challenge that impacts executive functioning. And we help people as they're going through high school, uh, post-secondary exploration and transition, post-secondary where we actually have 100% funding for every post-secondary student that comes through. As long as you're going through student loans, I get 100% funding. You can stay with us for your entire school year. Uh, we also help with people in career transition, also have funding for that. And I also work with entrepreneurs and have funding for that too. So I'm not your typical sales guysy thing. I'm about finding uh, resources that can help uh, help people and hopefully come work with me. Uh, anyways, the reason for this chat today is I've got uh, Angela Hartlin, I believe, Hartin or Hartlin? Hartlin. Hartlin. Oh, yeah, Hartlin. And uh, she's has a the skin picking support group. Um, and actually it was a really funny way on how we met. I was posting about ADHD awareness month and she says, that's really neat. How did you do that? And this is something I had uh, declared through uh, the province in 2015. And I was like, Oh, it's easy. I'll tell you how to do it. We're just having this quick chat. And I said, you know, by the way, what do you do? And she told me about this skin picking thing. And, and then I was like, Hmm. I've always been a nail biter and scratch my stuff, my, uh, you know, scratch just incessantly and I can't stop and all this stuff. And I'm covered in scars. I also have like acne scars all over the place. I had wickedly bad acne and I start looking into it. I said, I wonder if that is related to ADHD. And I'm like, holy smokes, totally is. And so here we are with Angela. So can you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about uh, your group, how you got into it, and yeah, tell me about yourself. All right. Thanks for having me on, Keith. It's really hard to kind of start off because similar to you, I've had a lot of previous diagnoses, especially when there wasn't a diagnosis at the time for excoriation disorder, which is compulsive skin. I've had um, many diagnoses over the years um, as well. But as you were saying with ADHD and skin picking is there is a, a correlation that I've seen over the years as an advocate of people who have this disorder and having the comorbidity with with skin picking, ADHD, ADD. Um, it's more so common with um, with obsessive compulsive disorder, but the research is still very slim on it since it hasn't even become like a real diagnosable disorder since the DSM-5 came out in 2013. Okay. Um, but to answer, I guess, a few of the other questions, um, I'm Angela Hartland and I'm local to the HRM and I have been advocating for 
skin picking awareness, which is also known as dermatillomania, and now again in the DSM-5 as excoriation disorder. So I've been advocating for awareness, education, resources for, for, for BFRB awareness, which is the greater umbrella term for other behaviors such as hair pulling, nail biting. Um, you can also find resources on my website, which is www.skinpickingsupport.com. Pretty much about everything I think that we're going to touch on today, you can find there. Uh, my advocacy really launched in 2009 at the end when I released my memoir, Forever Marked, a Dermatillomania Diary. And it, at the time, I wasn't in recovery. And I ended up being in the documentary Scars of Shame. And at the time of the release, I ended up going into recovery because I was invited on the CBS show, The Doctors in America, <laughs> to go on and get treatment from a BFRB expert. And I'm really grateful for that because, um, I mean, my skin is, is a lot better. Recovery isn't a linear thing, especially when it comes to grooming behaviors and grooming disorders. I don't know if I'm ever going to know what like normal grooming is, for example, without kind of being caught up in the obsessions of looking for things, searching for things, imperfections, bumps, sensory issues, which is actually goes coincides a lot with ADHD of needing the sensory processing. And I've noticed, again, more people who have been coming into the groups have also been getting diagnosed on, with on the autism spectrum. So there's a lot more, I think, that we're, we're learning about, about mental health in general. And I think that there's a lot of connections that I've been also myself, like making with myself, questioning my own diagnoses and kind of wondering where my skin picking originates from and kind of looking at it from another angle as time goes on. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I honestly, yeah, had no idea that was even out here, especially. And it's ironic because I used to work for the Self-Help Connection, which is, have you heard of them? Self-Help Yeah, Connection? I actually did reach out to them when I first started the BFRB Halifax in-person support groups, uh, which is also found on Facebook for anyone local who's looking for a forum, but we're still open. We don't do, we aren't currently doing meetings. But anyway, sorry, continue yeah. the Self-Help Connection. No, no, of course. Yeah, so they, they basically handle all the self-help groups all over over Nova Scotia, as you know, and um, yeah, I'd never heard of, I've never heard of this before. And I'm, I try to stay relatively aware of what's happening in the community and, um, but, and the, yeah. Can you tell me about how you started, I guess, started the group for starters. Uh, we've heard a bit about your backstory, but how did you start the group and how has it kind of morphed into what you are? Cause you have like 5,000 plus members in your group. It looks like, uh, can you, so you can tell me a bit more about that. Um, well, I guess I had the skin picking support website for a long time, like uh, really to kind of av or like advocate for skin picking from a personal perspective. And then I released my memoir and I actually think it was kind of like the other way around. Gosh, that was so long ago now, 2009. Yeah, I think my website came out a few years later, but I didn't really get into doing as much of the peer support group on a global level until um, the second wave of the pandemic. Um, I noticed that there was such a surge of 
members trying to join a lot of the skin picking groups and looking for support. And it wasn't because there were articles of skin picking at the time going out or anything. People were just organically finding it because we asked questions to members like, how did you find this group? And I had noticed during it was specifically the second wave and it was an influx of a couple thousand that just kind of herded in within a few months. And I wanted to create something that kind of, that gave more, a, another kind of space as a support group instead of just a forum. So that's why I opened up the smaller skin picking support Facebook group to have monthly meetings. And there are other great groups that do monthly meetings, but a lot of them were out of my time zone. Okay. And a lot of them were, are like, they, of course, they're great for other people in terms of just trying to do like recovery maintenance, like what, what fidget toys working for you, what, what barrier blockers working for you kind of check in type deal. But my group is a little bit different where, where I've been really passionate about, and I'm really glad that I'm able to do this. Um, monthly meetings based on on certain topics like for example we had a topic-based meeting on relationships and intimacy related to skin picking because there's certain challenges when it comes to dating or being in that type of scenario um there i had one specifically about cognitive distortions which were really crucial to identify in my own recovery so we got to delve into them like such as I must pick my skin, I guess, is is the most common one. But it's no, you feel like you must pick your skin. And then just kind of be able to dissect that. So when the urge arises next time, you have that mindfulness and you've already kind of at least implanted it a little bit. And then it, and then it just kind of soaks in and that's how recovery goes. And it's the slow seeping in of the information, almost like a slow deprogramming. But unfortunately, it hasn't been completely deprogrammed out of me. So whether or not it ever will be, I'm just grateful I had the opportunity because I wasn't even looking for it at the time. I was okay with living the way I was. I mean, I, I was in and still am in a long-term relationship now with a, my husband and, you know, life was moving forward. So I didn't really care that I still picked and, and I... It, it it's awful because of where I was in a dark place before with my picking. And I know, of course, a lot of other people are going through that experience as well. And there's no resources here. There's, I, I believe that there's still none east of Ontario. And I guess to, for anyone in Canada looking for, for the resources, you can go to the Canadian BFRB support network, which is based in, Toronto, go to their website. It's, okay. uh, I believe it's canadianbfrb.org, but they also have a list of support groups throughout Canada, local, like local to each province that you can look up for support in your area. But in terms of actual trained professionals who know how to treat it, let alone even know what it is, let alone treat it, because that's been a, another huge issue. People, including myself, have had horrible experiences with mental health practitioners saying like it's in your head or for me it was that I had to grow up when I was like 19 and suicidal being told that by a mental health nurse is she's like I've seen a lot of people get do the same thing and they just decide to stop it's like oh well thanks for that advice because you know I'm not here for that help or anything <laughs> like I'm not here to waste my time and unfortunately 
I've been trying to make a change on a local level with maybe even getting professionals um, trained through the TLC Foundation for BFRBs, which is based in Santa Cruz, California in the States. They have a professional training institute for providers that it's, I believe it may only be like a 13 hour DVD course or a, a weekend kind of course that you can go in person to a conference to get to get accredited and that accreditation means so much because it means that a, a person with a BFRB is willing to reach out to a professional because they know that they're not going to tell them something ignorant like that or any of the other variety of things that people will say like say oh well it's just like self-harm no it's not like self-harm at all it's a compulsive behavior not doing it to feel the pain a lot of the time we're able to trance out the pain because we're more fixated on achieving a goal, for example. Absolutely. Yeah. So how, how did you go from it? Just like, I, I mean, I, I was a late diagnosed with all my stuff at when I was like 34. Um, how did you go from it being something that you did to an actual uh, challenge or an actual disability of sorts? I guess, I don't know how you put it. Would you say it's a yeah. disability? I think it did. It ended up becoming one for sure. By the time I was in university, it okay. was, I would say it was because it, especially with the, even the time, the amount of time it took up in my life, let alone the time it took up from me trying to hide the damage that I caused to myself, especially to my face. That's, that's usually the hardest to, co yeah. to cover up. Um, but I think I always had the propensity to pick. I just remember always kind of being fascinated with with marks on myself and have like a specific memory in grade two of picking at my knee and the teacher kind of shaming me when I had to raise my hand and ask to go to the bathroom. And I have memories like in grade five where I remember I would be picking like this and I would all of a sudden feel like the blood on my hand, which yeah. actually happened, which was the, the last, my last day of my third year of university was the day I dropped out. That was the exact same thing that happened. I was sitting there like this and I felt the cold blood and I was like, uh Oh, and then I just kind of, at the time I was so, I remember in grade in elementary school, you had to raise your hand to go to the bathroom. And I yeah. loved in junior high, not having to raise, or what was it? Or was it no high school? You weren't, you didn't have to raise your hand. Yeah. Junior high, you still had to, but high school, you could just go. So I could like just discreetly just kind of, get up, pretend I'm scratching my hair when I really have blood on my hand. And that was just yeah. kind of one of my things. It's funny that that came up, so that hasn't come up in a long time. It was just oh, one of the ways to survive at the time. But um, I'd have to say it really became a problem, though. Like, it, it became certainly a problem by grade five because I was covering up. I had people bullying me. But um, and it became more problematic as the years went on. But it certainly became a disability by the time I was 19. And I did have to drop out of university. And I was like picking overnight for up to eight hours oh, a night. Wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, I had brutally bad skin when I was a teenager. And, you know, your parents like, don't touch it. It's going to make it worse. I have scars like all, all over my face. Part of the reason I'm happy. I finally be able to grow a beard though. This only come in last year. I don't know where it came from, but uh, yeah, I was so self-conscious like walking around. Um, my face was one thing, but I remember a, a, an incident um, in my kind of late twenties 
Um, there's a reason I don't wear shorts in the summer because my legs are destroyed from my scratching. Right. So I just get like, absolutely. And I don't know if this is a thing. This is like, I'm just kind of learning about this, which is the neat part, but I was have, wouldn't even bite a dry skin or whatever, but I just start scratching it. The more I scratch it, the itchier it got, the itchier it got, the more I'd like, I'd be digging into my, like, I, I, like, I feel like I could dig right into the bone and somebody looked at me and they're like, like, it was just a young girl. Right. And, um, she was saying, uh, she's like, what are you on heroin or something like that? And I was like, why would you say that? And then she looked at my legs. I'm like, and then, then I went right into my, like, then it was wearing jeans and stuff all summer and, you know, boiling my butt off, making it worse. Right. And then I get home and just destroy myself. So I, yeah, this is that's definitely the- one of the biggest misconceptions about people who pick their skin. And unfortunately it plays out, especially in communities of people of color and LGBTQ right. communities where the police, when it comes to policing, when it comes to healthcare, there's discrimination. I've been discriminated against. I don't know if it's specifically for drug use, but for having chronic pain, it's been very hard to obtain medication in all the years that I've had chronic pain for, which has been nearly a decade now. No, and, and it's, it's, and those, it, it really affects and isolates a person when they have that type of experience. So I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I had another, I had an experience um, when I was 14, 15, that kind of defined for me that no, I could never show my legs in public. It was like right as I was going into high school too. So I, I knew I needed to keep it covered because in that situation, it was, it was an adult, like a leader of a group that when I was hiking, who had said it. And mm-hmm. it's like, if adults behave like that, what are my peers going to do, especially when this is like the late 90s, early thousands, when there's zero awareness, zero anything at the time, nonprofits. I mean, I think the the TLC Foundation for BFRBs, which used to be the Trichotillomania Learning Center, focused mostly on hair pulling at the time before the real BFRB connection of other behaviors was made kind of scientifically. So, and I remember there were like two Google pages of information about skin picking and some of it was like, you picking your skin care. (laughs) So it wasn't even like related to skin picking. Like there was nothing online way back in the days. There was no support groups and it was a very isolating time because I mean, I felt, I, I thought that it was a very rare thing and it may be rare to the severity mine got to. I'm not quite sure, even though I've, I've seen quite a few pictures of people online with with skin like mine or, or what it used to be or worse. But I mean, there's got to be more awareness there because wearing a mental illness on your body oh, exactly. is so hard to explain to people. I didn't even know how to explain to myself for years why I couldn't stop what it was. Like, I just, of course I wanted to stop. I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to look the way I did. I didn't want to have to, or feel like I had to wear makeup and everything. And I did, you know, I wanted just, just what every other kid that age wants to just to blend in, fit in. So, so you talk about recovery and I've heard you talk about cognitive distortions, which I associate to like cognitive behavioral therapy. What kind of treatment is out there for dealing with that? And how would they, 
like, yeah, where do you go? Like from a clinical perspective, you've talked about the peer perspective. Yeah. From a clinical perspective, what, what do you do? Uh, Well, again, you, I would recommend anyone looking for a professional to go to the TLC foundation for BFRP website for a full directory of people who are trained to, to treat BFRBs. Um, But with the treatment specifically that I got, that was quite a bit of a success. Um, It was a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy with acceptance and commitment therapy. So it started off a lot. The the first kind of components had to do with logging, which were quite grueling. I absolutely hate logging so badly. Um, And the mind tricks I would try to play with myself to, to not have to to log. So I would try not to pick just so I wouldn't have to log, even though I was allowed to pick at that time, but I just didn't want to write it because it, it just had this mental exhaustion. But what it's really doing is slowing your mind down to kind right. of break down what you, what you, what, even for like, there's two different types of picking. There's, there's kind of like the automatic, like picking kind of subconscious where you're just doing it maybe when you're watching TV or kind of the more focus and direct where maybe you're doing it at a mirror or something. And so it's, I forget where I was going with that. Cause then I had like two, three different trains of thought, sorry, go uh, going with that. So if you want to pick up on one of those trains that I kind of just derailed. No, you didn't derail anything. No, it was, uh, we we're just talking about like um, the treatment options for it. Um, sorry. I, de- I derailed too. Cause I'm trying to share, I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, share the post more places on Facebook myself. Uh, it's a problem with multitasking; it never freaking works. Um, what were we talking about? That's right. We can causes causes more stimulation and increases oh. skin picking urges for me specifically to do multitasking. That's one thing I learned in my recovery. But okay. yeah, there's a lot of different things with with recovery that I had to learn, like. Some of them that are simple concepts, like knowing that it, you can even overcome an urge, because I was at the point I just I thought once an urge was there, you absolutely had to give in because okay. I didn't know that you couldn't give in as strange as that sounds, because whenever I didn't give in the times I was able to like the anxiety was so intense and then it would just end up coming out at a time that I just didn't notice or kind of similar to now, like maybe if I'm way too tired when I look in the mirror and I see like. I have like the scar tissue right here and sometimes like hair grows in differently there, which mm-hmm. makes it more triggering because I feel like it shouldn't be like that. It should be smoothed over. So I, I still get caught up in the, the cognitive distortions and, Earth. and some of those. So it's like recovery is more of a, a lifestyle maintenance uh, as more than it is about getting rid of skin picking. Like a lot of people are, of course are looking for a cure. They're looking yep. to stop, but, Mental health in general doesn't work like that. It's not as black and white as just turning something off in the brain that's been reinforced for years. It, it, you know, it's, I mean, even a lot of people, they can be in recovery for years and then something traumatic can happen. And then it's just as if they never stopped. So it, you know, there's a lot of different lived experiences with going into recovery and what recovery really means from this. I love, I love that you bring up that there's no cure for it. Cause I, so I do the coaching stuff. It's definitely rooted in peer support and I'll tell people right off the bat, don't like, if you're coming into coaching, don't expect to cure it. Um, 
you know, I, I've dealt with many, many, many therapists and I'm not bagging on therapists because I still have one. I have a, I have a therapist. I have a personal coach. I have a business coach. I believe in all sorts, any support from wherever. And I also have a lot of peer support too. Um, the, that, that air of like, you know, um, I always think about with therapy, right. And how it is here. Um, I'm lucky I'm from BC. So in BC, we got, uh, BC's version of brief therapy was 10 session if you went through community mental health and uh, how I stayed actually in uh, in it as long as I did I went same day same time every week for two and a half years for therapy to deal with all my baggage Uh, I had wicked anger management problems and all sorts of behavioral issues that I that I was able to to conquer through therapy with an amazing clinical social worker named Renee Canavero, give a shout out to her. She's she's freaking awesome. However, um, when I came out here uh, and went through the same thing, because I go up and down like a flipping yo-yo, I, I coach it, but I still live it, right? And yeah. uh, uh, I got brief therapy here, which was three sessions. So Nova Scotia Mental Health is basically works like this. You go in in a crisis. That's the only time we go into therapy. So we're like spewing out all our guts. Then, then we... We're like, holy smokes, I shared a lot. So in the next one, then we're usually a little bit more calmed down because we've got rid of our verbal diarrhea, as it were, right? We've got all our, our feels out. And they're like, oh, you, you look like you're doing better. Well, see ya, right? And you get, and maybe if you're lucky, you get a third and that's it. So in, in BC, when I got to session 10, um, I, I said, I'm not leaving. Like I was, I'm a defiant person. So definitely back in the day, I would have been def- uh diagnosed with opposition defiant which means i hate top down yeah. so you tell me what to do i would basically tell you to f off and and then there's another version of that you tell me what our conduct disorder you tell me what to do i tell you where to go and how to get there and then i punch you in the face and probably go to jail i didn't have that one well kind of did but didn't but uh anyways the so anyways when they were about to kick me out i was like well uh i'm not leaving and she's like, well, you have to. And I said, well, other people stay. How do they stay? And I was like, well, the only way to, to, to stay is if you're suicidal. I'm like, great, give me the phone. Comes to that. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to drive, drive my car off a bridge on the way home and this and that. And then I, and I said it deadpan, as funny as I'm doing it right now. I'm like, see you later. And then I stayed. And it was the best thing that ever happened. I got grief therapy. I dealt with a lot of family trauma that I had. I got... Um, I got diagnosed with ADHD and a bunch of other stuff. And um, I actually even became a, a, a case study for master students coming in because I refused to go anywhere. And it was, and I never left until I moved here. So that was kind of the, the funny part about it. But uh, so here's, here's my question. How yeah. do you think life would have turned out for you? Had you not gotten the help in BC and you had just moved down here and you tried to get the help? What do you think would have happened? I, it wouldn't have happened. I, I wouldn't have made it. So I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I, there's a big piece of my story. I'll tell you off camera, but there's a big piece of story that happened between here and BC and, uh, had, yeah, had I not had the amount of support that I had back in BC and come to Nova Scotia, I would have been screwed. There's, there's not the, we all know there's what 120,000 of us currently who don't have uh doctors. Thank God I have one, yes. and I only have one because of a uh, uh, long standing medical condition that I've had 
Um, but yeah, the, the, the system here is. I know a lot of people going through that right now. And it's, I mean, I don't know if you saw a whole lot of my disability advocacy page, but the physical health, pa- the physical health system is no better than the mental health system. And no. it has traumatized me to no end now. And I don't like seeing professionals. I am sick of it. I've had so many look at my body, mm-hmm. like, in disgust and and make comments or so many different things like I couldn't I like it and I, I mean not even just my own story but how I've had to advocate for my mom because she was waiting for her shoulder surgery for four days in Nova Scotia as a diabetic who was told to fast every day her shoulder was broken in all but one place and she was told to go home that was what the er told her and then that she would have to wait every day and fast she couldn't eat she was throwing up and i thought she was gonna die like she couldn't do anything in in that much pain and it got a lot of media attention and she got her surgery the next day got attention of the liberal government um actually got of the ndp government as well um but it was to just, I mean, I know I've been treated horribly and there's a lot of discrimination with mental health, with my parents, there's with being young, with being female and how disabled that I was for the last 10 years that I, I was just, I couldn't believe what happened to my mom. And then of course, there's been lots of stories in the news about like a man who was waiting for an ambulance with a broken hip or something yeah. for eight hours and a cop had to pick him up and he ended up dying weeks later anyway from a heart issue. But it's like, yeah, maybe because his heart could have been exhausted. I mean, I don't want to make assumptions, of course, about someone else's health, someone I've never met, someone, but it yeah. still makes you think that type of stress on the body and what mm-hmm. stress does to the body. I know what it's done to mine. And I, you know, somebody that age and how atrocious we're treating our elders. And I, you know, it's, I, I, I fear for the future for many reasons. So, so my question to you is how did this turn into something that was uh, within you and that you were seeking treatment for? How did you go from that to starting as all the stuff that you've done? Um, what's your background? How, how did that lead to, lead to, uh, you, you know, starting the the big support group, getting involved in the films, writing the book, like what took it from just like, this is a me problem that this is a something I need to share and help other people with. It was a slow progression because my memoir was actually a diary from like after my, or kind of during and after my university years where I did end up dropping out and my, my picking was at its worst and I was having suicidal thoughts so at that time, it was just an online blog for me. And then I opened up to people in other mental health forums, because at the time, I didn't know there was no skin picking forums. So I didn't right. know. So I was like, just going to self harm forums, I was going to OCD, I was going to just mental health. And, and then I was just, so just like random strangers online with anonymity. Um, and so, so like, eventually, I think I came out because I, I feel like I had to. hiding it wasn't serving me I was housebound I was ashamed I you know and I think a part of me was just like yeah I need to tell everybody what's going on with me I can't hide this and you know my picking actually did go down from advocacy alone it went from like the eight hours down to eventually 
from like 2009 down to before my disability, right before 2012, it was down to like maybe two hours a night, maybe on a good day, half an hour to like getting caught like in the the routine of it and the cycles and some a lot of times doing it at night and a whole bunch of things related to that. But it, it really was a slow progression. And then it's funny because the photographer who took the the picture for the the book cover had gotten the table, the medical table from a document or from a, a film crew. And then they they had asked, hey, did you ever get use of that table? He's like, well, actually, and then described me. And then she's like, oh, I'm, I guess looking to make a documentary or whatever conversation unfolded there and get me in touch. And so then that ended up happening. And so it's, it's just it's been wild because it's like if I never put my book out there, all this stuff like I just, you know, I'd just be, you know, I'd still be suffering the way I did the world has slowly changed in terms of awareness for everything. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'd like to think that I have a tiny little piece of that of just pushing it forward of like, you know, just telling people to just, you know, stop being ashamed of something you don't have control over and, you know, just love yourself where you're at now. And if you can't love yourself, just at least accept yourself and have enough empathy to know like, yeah, you go through a lot in having this disorder, the way you try to hide from the world, how hard it can be like with intimacy issues, how hard it can be trying to explain to people dealing with confrontations and trying to hide the mess, trying to um, prevent infections and is it over and over. It affects, it affects everything. It affects the time that's spent. It affects the clothes you have to buy when you have like blood soaked sheets and clothing. Mm -hmm. It affects, you know, your wardrobe and what you feel like you have to wear to cover certain things as well. And it, so yeah, these, these conversations are definitely really important to have. Yep. Uh, yeah. What, what, what age were you when that all happened? Um, it was my first year of university near the end of the first semester. And I mean, I was already like working a lot of hours at a call center. I was doing a lot of university work, traveling in between all three. And then of course, trying to manage a disorder and trying to hide the disorder and missing days of school, missing days of work on the really bad days. And it, it got really bad because I, I also just felt like so alone. I had no one to talk to about it. And when I would try, it's like no one really understood because they didn't go through it or anything like it. So I just really felt completely alone and I felt like a freak and like just no one would want me especially when it came to dating oh, yeah. so like it's like wow you look like that why do you look like that oh because you caused that oh well you know so but I mean in a way it's been a having um dermatillomania has been a great as I say to a lot of people in my support group in skin picking support I say that it's a really great social filter and it's a good dating filter as well, because you can really, you, you can really find out who the good people are and, mm. and who can really stand by you and who can accept you. I mean, of course, I don't want to downplay the fact that there are people out there who can also weaponize people's disorders against them and say, like, I, I was in a situation 
Um, I was in a relationship years ago where I was told that I was a freak and that no one could ever love me. So, I mean, and that had a very negative impact in the way that I, I moved forward when it came to, to dating for sure. Yeah, I can, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that the acting part, right. I've talked about that a minute ago and, um, I used to get big boils too, like, and I, it's because I picked, right. So I just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and popping them. And, and, uh, and then I, I get, uh, from scratching, you talk about the infection, I get staph infections. So I do it so much that I ended up in the hospital. Uh, and it was almost on an annual basis, uh, between like 27, I haven't had one since 2013, but from, from, uh, like 2000 and, uh, I don't know, about night. Yeah. 1999 to about 2013, I would had a staph infection every year that just kept them worse and oh, worse, wow. worse and worse and worse. And, and even, you talk about the medical field. The last one I had was the worst one I've ever had. Um, uh, where I said, just give me a, whatever the pill is for that. I can't remember what it's called, but I, you got to take a, some pill that's like, just give me a pill and it'll go away. And I went to the doctor and they're like nope you're gonna have to wait and I sat in the waiting room forever I'm getting worse and worse and worse I'm like can you just give me this stupid thing it's like it's like just an antibiotic right and I could go no it's fine so then I went in uh instead of just having um instead of taking the pill and it would be gone the next day I was in there for two weeks I had a surgery that that I had on my left leg that ended up uh rupturing because my leg got so inflamed because the infection and uh, screwed up a reverse to surgery that I'd done that kept me off work for a year when I was 27 and just like, oops, you know, too bad. So sad. Peace out. Right. Completely like screwed up my whole, like now I have a, a, talk about chronic pain. I have a ongoing physical challenge now that I'm going to have for the rest of my life, unless I go back and get another surgery and take six months off work. Right. It's just like, you know, passive. Anyways, it's uh yeah, that was pretty powerful. Uh yeah, it's just it was I don't know, just watching that was just like a very eye-opening thing cuz even you talk about like like taking layers off to get to the thing, it's like I I didn't I had no idea this was even a thing. Like I'm kind of I'm kind of mind blown right now and as I'm glad I actually came in uh relatively in an ADHD way like winging it unprepared i've been ripping all week uh to get here uh what a, yeah this it's just kind of mind-boggling um anyway it's fascinating that with all still like because i i've been in the awareness world for so long that i really can't i don't know how much global awareness there really is about bfrbs and there's it still seems to be low because even with you doing your advocacy yep locally and kind of just you know with other provinces and whatnot you it doesn't sound like you like have you spoken to any any psychologist or anything about your about your picking or did anyone nope. ask you where how you got those marks no nope. no nobody what, did wow and- like I went to a dermatologist and they just said, don't do it. But, and part of the problem was because I chew my fingernails down to the bone, when you go to pick, right? Like you're not, it's like, you're getting all of it. So you're just making a mess of your face. So no, it's never come up. And it came up with one, I don't remember what it's called. When you pick like your, the hair follicles, like trichococcus or something, or 
What's that? Pupil mania when you that pull thing. out hairs. It can, yes. it can be on your head. It can be anywhere on yep. your body or face. Yep. So one of my clients, and I literally just forward our Facebook live to him. And it's weird. He just reached out oh, amazing. yesterday. He's like, you want to go play golf? I haven't talked to this guy in like, I don't know, eight years or something. Right. But he, but he, yeah, he was, he had like a little beard and he was picking the hairs out and, uh, and he told me about it. And I was like, oh, that's strange. Yeah. I used to like pop pimples and stuff, but, um, but I never took it any further. And then when I, when you and I did connect and you said that I didn't know what BFRB was, no idea. So I just Googled ADHD and that, and then it came up and I'm like, holy crap, like no idea. Right. So, so anyways, yeah, this is just kind of a big eye opener for me. Um, uh, and I, I'm glad we get to, well, first of all, I had no idea we were even in the same province. That's kind of the funny thing. And and the other part is that you're saying around the, um, I guess just the lack of awareness of a whole bunch of stuff that's going on. I mean, with ADHD, as I mentioned to you earlier today, I st- still am the only one doing it. There used to be a, a, a nonprofit called Excalibur ADHD Association. They went under in 2018. Um, but uh, yeah, I've just, I've been consistently at it for, for all these years, but um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I'm just kind of mind blown. It's, I didn't know there was even a word for it. I just thought I was picking a pimple or like scratching a thing. It's like, I, and I bet you actually after uh, doing this, I guarantee more people are going to come out and start talking about this. Like, um, because in my world, right. Um, like right now I've got 70 students that I'm coaching there. It's all remote, but I'm going to bring this up and say, Hey, you guys experience any of this? If so, there is support. And, and just the, the act of raising awareness, just in general, like, like I, as I mentioned to you before we got on, I, I believe in the power of collaboration, right? And, um, you know, if the medical systems is, isn't going to do anything about it, then we might as well. And, and yeah. the other thing is, is like, that really bugs me about the medical system. And I don't want to get, I'm just going to leave it at this, is that, you know, if, say you wanted to do something in the middle medical system and you're a peer, they're like, Oh, we'll give you a little stipend to help you out. Right. And that's it. You might get 50 bucks to go and talk to somebody. If you were a medical professional, not that they do it, they'll talk about doing it, but they don't, you know, they're at a hundred grand, right. That <laughs> They're getting paid to, to do something like that. And, and it's, there's this, this hierarchy of, of like, you know, you have to be a medical professional in order to talk about it. Well, if that's the case, then freaking talk about it. You're not doing it, right? Like, like, and, and then, uh, and well, then- there, there's also something that a lot of people don't talk about. And it's huge. Yeah. I've noticed it when it comes to mental health, when it comes to physical health, when it comes to the practice of specialists and doctors in general, of course, not everyone, but there is a huge class divide. And I remember yes. when I went into university too, and this is funny because a few of my first year courses, the professors were saying, you are part of the top 10% of So you kind of almost get groomed in university. And I can imagine what it would be like if you come from a rich family who could pay your tuition, whereas I was a student who was struggling, of course, mm-hmm. with more mental health issues, which would, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have been as bad. 
had I come from a family who could have paid for all that, I could have lived in residence instead of traveling, I wouldn't have had to work and have all these other issues, poverty, which is a huge issues. So I've noticed like, and it's almost like they, they talk down to you because you've never been able to reach the same esteem that they have. And so it doesn't matter that I'm, I'm an advocate. It doesn't matter anything I've done. In fact, it actually hurts me when I, so I, in the last like um, few years in particular, I've even in recovery, I've tried to hide my skin. I'll wear, sometimes I'll wear makeup to, to appointments and stuff just to be taken a little bit more seriously because unfortunately it matters. I will sometimes even dress up a little bit more when it comes to um, when it comes to more like um, formal specialist type appointments to be taken more seriously, because if you come in as you are and they just look at you, especially when I had a chronic pain issue that was undiagnosed for so many years that I had to go to the States to get surgery to have removed a part of my butt like that. That's pretty severe. And I had doctors because they were and a lot of people, really, the fact that I had mental health issues, I was young female, so you assume that it's uh, histrionic and scans couldn't show that my sciatic nerve was my piriformis muscle was lodged into my 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 sciatic nerve with scar tissue wrapping around. Um, and then that, that happened, it, that was like that for nearly six years. And I was dragging my left side around for so long that my right hip ripped. So yeah. I'm only just now getting better from my right hip just now because I had surgery 11 months ago. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. The, the entire system is messed up here. And if you're a person who has a disorder, especially if it's something that they haven't heard of, especially because a lot of these other like higher like class like when it comes to the higher class a lot of people don't even know about mental health like it's a completely different world whereas it's like working class people are so accepting I've had more acceptance from just general working class public people than I have people working who have the highest authority who have the control to and to be able to look at your body and ask questions and make you you know feel like you're respected or make you feel like, "Mm," you know, and it's unfortunately it's, you know, I ended up going through a lot of, I think I would have went through a lot because of the fact that there was no treatment here for the piriformis syndrome, but Mm -hmm. to have to wait like two years automatically on waiting lists, boom, right there, years of my life lost, gone and trying to, of course, deal with all that. And then I got the chance for skin picking recovery and then went into recovery, tried to maintain that. And, you know, and it definitely has its challenges, especially with the pandemic and getting mask me. Like I, I actually have more scar tissue issues because similar to you, I had an infection. I think it was like 2006 or 2007 where my um, chin completely like blew up. And even yeah. now, like, I don't know what, what happened, why it's not healed properly even now, but like when there's a mask on it, like too long or something, or even like my husband's stubble, it almost yeah. rips it open, yeah. almost like, scab- it almost creates like a new scab, even though it's not actually ripping, but it, 
I, I don't understand. But of course, then you have more scab on your face. And then and so this whole mask thing has been just another issue, mm-hmm. which the, I mean, talking talking about COVID and BFRBs is another thing. So a lot of people relied on nail salons to with acrylics and gel nails to stop them from picking. And then, of course, salons were closed, too. So oh, they, they couldn't never... get that. Yeah, a lot. Of, I don't rely on it because personally, that's too much stimulation. I can't even have my nails long personally, because I'm if I if they get to a certain length, I get too busy doing this. So maybe I yeah. could acclimatize myself to it, but they're just too much of a hassle too. <laughs> like just for everyday things. Like yeah. I can't imagine like playing video games and just trying yeah, to true. Yeah, with these, with these really long nails yeah. and so yeah so i just it, it's not for me but you know it definitely was a huge benefit as a, a blocker for a lot of people or more as a barrier for a lot of people well i really appreciate this conversation i like to continue it all night in the interest of time uh i'm gonna i'll leave it at that and i can't wait to actually touch base with you. i've got all kinds of resources that could totally help you um and i'm sure like yeah, I want to, I'm going to take the information that you have. I've got like my coaching stuff. I'm going to share it with all my clients because I guarantee there's a whack of us. And again, this is like a, I don't know, I'm like mind blown right now. And it's so crazy because I've been in this for so long and I had no idea this was even a thing. My mom would just like. It's so amazing for me to hear that, to like be able to even reach one person is what makes all this advocacy worth it. And especially Uh, if it's someone like you, who's been pursuing mental health awareness for years and trying to kind of doing that introspective hard work that it takes to be able to manage your conditions. It, you know, to, to find out something is kind of like, wow, like I've had it, as I was saying before, I forget if we were off camera or off, Mm -hmm. off recording, but where I'm, I'm kind of been questioning a lot of my own diagnoses and whatnot. And because there's more information coming out and I'm really glad now that I'm doing better physically and stuff, it's been helping me mentally and I'm able to get back to doing awareness, the things that I love to be able to help other people in similar situations to not feel so alone and, and just have that place so that they can feel accepted. Because it's so hard. I see a lot of also parents coming into forums saying, please help my kid stop. And their mm-hmm. goal is to get the kid to stop. And yep. you know, some of your kids may never stop. Nope. It can get better, but some of your kids may never stop and you're going to have to accept that and stop. You know, unfortunately, some some parents, of course, they're well-meaning, but there's a way to be able to approach it instead of bringing it up all the time or making comments about someone's appearance. There's just so much more. So I I really like being able to raise this awareness and be able to to give advice to a whole bunch of on like professionals to parents to even to other kids to teens and to just have that community where people can go to which is skin picking support you can find it on on the website skinpickingsupport.com and for general other bfrbs there's also a host of information on the the website such as the tlc foundation for bfrbs the Picking Me Foundation, and of course, the Canadian BFRB Support Network. And a lot of us are kind of, you know, it's a small community. We all work towards the same goals. We lived in a world 15 years ago where there was no awareness, and boom, here we all are now. So it's really, really great to continue the collaborations and really help do this for the next generations. And 
hopefully prevent them from having to go through a lot of what we've had to. 100%. And not knowing that there's other people, not knowing that it's an issue and a, a lot of those struggles. So I really appreciate you having me on, Keith. Yeah, and vice versa. It's uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, like I said, if you have any questions, I'm posting all of, uh, your links in. Actually, I posted all over the place on Facebook while we were doing this. So I was doing a little multitasking action. Um, but I'm definitely going to be looking more into this. And I hope to potentially have you on uh, down the line. I'm working on a big project right now, actually, with a doctor out of British Columbia. His name's Dr. Parhar. Um, he actually, uh, we talked about the diagnosis thing. Getting a diagnosis for ADHD here in Nova Scotia is uh, problematic, to say the least, <laughs> and uh, takes a lot of time. Uh, and the, the one psychiatrist that does deal with it doesn't do prescriptions. So then you have to go back to your family doctor that doesn't exist in 12% of the population. So I sought this guy out. And uh, anyways, yeah, his, his site's... Uh, uh, what is it? Adult ADHD center.com, or you can just go P A R H A R.com. It all leads to the same place. Um, but he does uh, uh, adult ADHD diagnosis for $300. It's uh, you can get it done within two months and um, it's done with a nurse practitioner, a big beefy assessment. So it, it, they assess for ADHD, uh, mental health and a bunch of other challenges as well. And then when you're done, you can also get help from a uh, nurse practitioner with the medication part of it, which is amazing. That's, that's kind of something that's new. Maybe the nurse practitioners, we can, uh, maybe that's an idea for you to see if you can find a nurse practitioner that'd be on board for helping promote the cause. Cause at least they're more boots on the ground. Like they're, it's like dealing with like a social worker versus a psychologist, social worker, understand what it's like to be out with the people psychologists sit behind a desk and tell you about mm. your life from a book right uh again nothing wrong with either one but uh just a different way of looking at pros it anyways, and cons. what's that pros and cons exactly uh anyways it's been amazing chat with you i uh, can't wait to connect with you in the future and uh hopefully there's more people that like uh, like me that, like I said, mind blown after watching that. I can't, I can't even believe it. It's like, uh, yeah, just a, a bananas thing. So thanks so much for joining us. 